This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. In the second half of the show tonight, we'll have another new episode of Nightbeat, a recent addition to the lineup here on Theater of the Mind. I'm really enjoying the work of Frank Lovejoy in these, and I know from the notes and emails I've received that you are too. But first, it's a trip back to 1946 to listen in as bartender Archie holds sway over the goings-on at Duffy's Tavern. The program often featured celebrity guest stars, but always hooked them around the misadventures get-rich-quick schemes and romantic missteps of the title establishment's metaphor-mixing manager, Archie, portrayed by Ed Gardner, the writer-actor who co-created the series. Owner Duffy was never heard nor seen, either on the radio program or in the 1945 film adaptation or the short-lived 1954 TV series. The series featured many high-profile guest stars, and tonight it's actress Joan Bennett. Duffy's Tavern was Gardner's creation, and he drew on his earlier experiences as a successful radio director, bringing aboard several keen writing talents, including theatric humorist Abe Burroughs, the show's co-creator and head writer for its first five years. Here's some other names you might uh, recognize immediately. Future MASH writer Larry Galbart and Dick Martin, who later was the co-host of television's groundbreaking Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Well, let's go to the episode now. Archie raffles to help the poor people. <laughs> it's Wednesday night, so we take it out at Duffy Tavern with our guest tonight, Joan Bennett, and starring Archie himself, Ed Gardner. <laughs> Duffy Tavern is brought to you by Bristol Myers, makers of Ipana toothpaste and Truchet, beforehand lotion. Two products that will pay you to remember. Ipana for the smile of beauty. Truchet for softer, lovelier hands. Ipana, Truchet. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Where do you leave? Meet the Archie demand you speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. Tonight, uh, Joan Bennett, uh, woman in the window. Huh? A mannequin. No, Duffy, on the contrary, she's quite a girlykin. <laughs> yeah, Duffy, a terrific assemblage of punkritude. <laughs> what she got that Mrs. Duffy ain't got? Well, take a look at Mrs. Duffy. <laughs> Are you looking? Well, what you don't see, Joan Bennett's got. <laughs> yeah, she just come back from England. England, it's a little place, just a blonde stone's throw from Ireland. Yeah, she went over there with a bunch of other movie stars Sort of a lend-lease arrangement Yeah, the English sent us their beefs And we sent them our hams 
Well, uh, Joan is coming down tonight to help me raffle off a diamond Tarara. Huh? Well, it's for Christmas, Duffy, to help feed the needy families of 3rd Avenue. <laughs> Let them eat cake. Duffy, a certain party named Marie Antoinette once made that same remark. And leave me remind you, after they stuck her head in a guillotine, she talked a lot different. <laughs> I'll call you back. Hey, Miss Arthur, how many tickets you figured you're going to sell for this raffle? Well, Eddie, that depends a lot on how many people buy them. Mm-hmm. That's a nice round number. Yeah. Incidentally, what are you thinking of giving your girlfriend, Sonia Jones, for Christmas? According to my wallet, a matched set of excuses. <laughs> oh, no dough, huh? That's right. And with Sonia, no dough, no soap. Mm. Why them women? Why, why do they have to be that way? Well, Eddie, that's been a problem since time was immoral, you know? <laughs> Anthony had that problem with Cleopatra. Napoleon had it with Josephine. You mean Josephine was wallet-minded, too? You've seen pictures of Napoleon with his hand inside his coat? Yeah. Why do you think he was holding on to? <laughs> but she loved him, Eddie. Yeah, but the trouble is, Sonia never studied history. Oh. And Napoleon didn't have the competition I got. Competition, huh? Yeah, she got one boyfriend that makes perfume, a jeweler. Then there's another one. Now just a second. If she's got all them boyfriends, why do you bother to give her anything? Because I'm number three on the list, and I don't want to lose my rating. <laughs> well, uh, why don't you buy one of these raffle tickets? If you win, you can give her the diamond terrarium. That's phony hunk of ice. Well, does she have to know it's phony? I forgot to tell you, she got another boyfriend that's a glass cutter. <laughs> well, don't leave it uh, esprit of decor, Eddie. <clears throat> uh, by the way, did you get the Christmas tree out of the back room yet? Yeah, that hat is there in the corner. I hope it don't get arrested for indecent exposure. <laughs> yeah. Don't look as good as it did last year, does it? No. And last year, it didn't look as good as the year before. Mm, turned a little brown around the gels. What can we do with it, Eddie? Well, we could put a fence around it. A fence? Yeah. You know what the old saying? That things on the other side of the fence look greener? <laughs> Cut the jokes, Eddie. We can fix it up. We'll camouflage it with some of last year's decorations. Yeah, but what are we going to use to camouflage the decorations? Don't worry, Eddie. There's a lot of things around here we could use to hang on a tree. Uh, hello, Arch. Oh, hello, Finnegan. Uh, you sold any tickets for that raffle yet? Uh, no, Arch. And I've been to every house on the block. Well, have you been off the block? Arch, for years. <laughs> well, uh, look, what do you do when you go from house to house? Oh, well, uh, I knock on the door, and when they open it, I say... Uh, I'm Clinton Finnegan. Yeah, huh? What's the reaction? The usual. Raised eyebrows and a slight gasp. <laughs> uh, then I try to slam the door on me. Then what do you do? I use me head, Arch. Oh. Yeah, I stick my foot in. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah, sometimes. Other times I use me foot and stick me head in. <laughs> oh. How does that work? Well, that's better. That way it don't hurt so much. Then again, sticking your foot and your head in, I can see that you ain't using salesmanship. Salesmanship? Yeah, you see, to be a salesman, the first thing you got to do is to flatter the people. 
uh, platum. Huh? Yeah, you know, for example, when the door opens, you should smile and you say, well, I didn't know a gorgeous creature like you was going to answer the door. Arch, I tried that. What happened? The guy slugged me. <laughs> Well, you talked out of turn. That's another thing. You see, the smart salesman lets the other guy do all the talking. Yeah, I tried that too, Arch. One place I went into to sell the tickets, it happened the guy was also a salesman. Yeah? Yeah, so I was cagey. I laid back and I let him do all the talking. What happened? I am now insured against earthquakes. <laughs> Not one ticket sold for all of these needy families. Ain't you ashamed of yourself? Now go on out and try it again. Okay, and this time I won't leave one stone unturned. Okay, but don't turn over any rocks. You might find a relative. Uh, Now get going. Okay. Hey, look, you mind if I leave one shoe here? One shoe? Yeah, it'll help me make change. How? Well, tickets are a dime, right? Right. So in case a guy hands me a quarter... Ten fingers and five toes makes 15 cents change. But Finnegan, you got six toes. Oh, you forget the sales tax. A human abacus. Go on now, get going. Hello, Duffy's Tavern. Huh? Oh, yeah, she's here. Just a minute. Miss Duffy. Oh, yeah? A phone call for you. Ridiculous as it sounds, it's a man. No fooling, gee. Quick, give me the phone. Give me the phone. Steady, old girl. Steady. <laughs> Hello? Miss Duffy speaking. I'd love to. <laughs> what? Oh, it's you, Papa. Archie, you tricked me. Yeah, but you was really living there for a minute. <laughs> What'd you do, look in the mirror? (laughs) Shut up, you jerk. No, not you, Papa. The other one here. Uh, So then I went over to Katrinka Yorbert's for their housewarming. Yeah, they just got a load of colon. (laughs) Well, anyway, the party got going, and you know how it is, Papa. Everybody started dancing with each other, and Katrinka and I got sick of just sitting around, so... Well, so we went to the movies. Huh? Look, Papa, I could tell Mama a few things about the other night when you were supposed to be playing poker. Yeah, I seen him in that game of poker. The chips was very well stacked. <laughs> what, Papa? Okay, it's a deal. We'll both keep our big mouths shut. Miss Duffy, did you and Katrinka enjoy the movies last night? No, we had a terrible time. Two fellas sitting next to us did nothing but annoy us. Oh. So where did the four of you go? (laughs) Well, it it turned out that they were going our way. So, naturally, they offered to give you a lift. Naturally. But we warned them that we were nice girls and they'd have to drive us straight home. Well, so far, you've acted like a perfect lady. Yes, but they were no gentlemen. Oh, they didn't drive you straight home. That was the trouble they did. Straight home, I think I know the trouble Look, when you got into the guy's car 
Was it standing under a street lamp? Yeah, I think it was. That's where you made your mistake. <laughs> now, look, Miss Duffy, Joan Bennett's gonna be here any minute to raffle off this Terrara for the needy people, and... Hey, I wonder if a kiss from a pretty girl would help sell these tickets. <gasps> Thank you! I'd love to! Miss Duffy, the needy ain't that needy. <laughs> I was referring to Miss Joan Bennett. That's a terrific idea. Joan Bennett kisses the winner... And we'll collect so much dough for the Third Avenue poor people, they'll be coming over here in limousines to thank us. Look, Eddie, Joan Bennett's gonna be here any minute. Now, leave us make the place look Christmassy, huh? We'll put some candles around the tables. Candles? You trying to put Miss Bennett on a diet? What do you mean? Well, if she sees what she's eating, she won't. Well, maybe you're right. What could we do to make it Christmassy? Yeah. I know. We'll take a lot of the Christmas cards we've been receiving and stand them up along the bar. Be the only thing at that bar that's standing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, very funny. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just got a card here you did from Sing Sing. I did? Let's see. Hey, it's from Rockpile Roach. <laughs> I didn't know he was still up there. The last time I heard from him, he was waiting for the governor to make up his mind about a reprieve. Let's see what he says. Dear Archie, just a line to wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy. Mm. <laughs> Guess the governor made up his mind. <laughs> Yeah, well, that shows you, Eddie. Crime don't pay, huh? Good evening, Archie. Oh, Officer Clancy, how are you tonight? Oh, tis a weary man, I am. Those Christmas crowds milling around and pushing and pulling. Yeah, pretty terrible. Oh, it sure knocks a man out. The hustle and bustle and pushing and shoving, it's enough to drive a man to drink. Yeah, that's right. Well, don't just stand there agreeing with me. Do something about it. <laughs> okay, Clancy, here you are. Bourbon and soda. On the house. Ah. Archie, this whiskey of yours is slow poison. Slow poison? Well, then don't drink it. Fortunately, I'm a patient man. <laughs> oh, well, enjoy it, Clancy. Tell me, uh, how's the missus? The old biddy? Yeah. Well, as usual, she's been hinting all week for a Christmas present. Oh, how can you tell? She's been easing up on her punches. <laughs> Well, that's a sure sign she loves you, Clancy. You're a hundred proof right. Uh, by the way... <laughs> by the way, that last drink... Yeah? Who poured it? I did. Who drank it? You did. Archie, it's your move. <laughs> okay, Clancy, here you are. Have thank another you, one. Thank you, See, by the way, would you like to have Christmas dinner with me and Mrs. Officer Clancy? Well, thank you. I'll be charmed. We're having a real Christmas dinner. Celery and olives and cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie. And, of course, for the main dish, the old traditional corned beef and cabbage. <laughs> what? Plenty? No turkey? No! It makes the old lady feel too self-conscious. Oh. Well, I'll be seeing you, Archie. Okay, Clancy. I'm um, Miss Archie. Yeah? The woman in the window. What about her? She just walked through the door. Oh, Eddie, that's Joan Bennett. She just got back from England. At the... Uh, talk that pip-pip British store, Eddie, you know. Give her a real English welcome, huh? Uh, you give it to her. You handy with that John Bolden I am. 
Well, Joan Bennett, uh, welcome back to the motherland. Did you have a good time over there, Joan? Wonderful. Yeah, huh? I bet you felt funny driving on the left side of the road, huh? Not at all, Archie. You forget I'm from California. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, how is England? Has uh, the old place changed much? Were you ever there? Was I... Just damn kidding. <laughs> Joan, I've been up and down the streets of London so often, I still walk cockneyed. <laughs> In uh, fact, to this day, I get sinuses if I ain't breathing that London Derry air. <laughs> well, what did you do over there? What did I do? Well, uh, the first time I went over to play uh, cricket for uh, Washington and Lee and parents. <laughs> you played cricket? Left cricket. <clears throat> yeah, it was a great trip. A uh, little rough, but very pleasant. What boat did you go on? Well, naturally, on a boat befitting to a man of my caliber. A tramp steamer. No, the Queen Mary herself. <clears throat> Great crowd we had on board, too. A lot of notables? Uh, a lot of notables? Uh, you mean besides me? Yes. Oh, sure. We had nothing but the upper dregs. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Count of Essex and his wife, the discount. Uh, <laughs> Lord and Lady Lent Windermere, uh, Lord and Lady Taylor, uh, uh, Lord Byron. Lord Byron? Yeah. He wasn't with Lord Tennyson, was he? Lord Tennyson, Lord Tennyson. Short and stocky, uh, monocle in one eye, stutters a little. That's the one. Marvelous shuffleboard player. <laughs> Archie, it happens that Lord Tennyson is dead. What is that? Lord Tennyson is dead. Oh. Well, it was a pretty rough trip. In fact, uh, even I had a slight case of mal de mer. You know, that's uh, French for you can't take it with you. Yeah. But uh, where are my manners here? Oh, Edward. Uh, uh, Yasa, my lord. A uh, crumpet of tiffin and uh, some, some tea for Miss Bennett. How many spots? Uh, tuppence How much is that? That's twelve You ain't got enough for twelve spots uh, How about just one big blob? Well, I guess that sounds all right uh, Okay with you, Joan? Yes, with lemon, please In a saucer <laughs> a saucer? How bourgeois uh, Have you ever tried it with a putrid mug? <laughs> No, this will be my first experience. <laughs> well, I think you'll like it. <laughs> Archie, I can see you know all about English dishes. Oh, sure. In fact, they almost married one. <laughs> but by that time, they didn't let us fraternize. <laughs> Say, that's a jolly good one. I must remember to send that into punch. <laughs> yeah, Joan, all this, uh, this talk about England makes me very neuralgic. Yes, I'm getting a little sick myself yeah, Well, in that case, uh, leave us talk about Hollywood All right, leave us talk about Hollywood I saw that last picture of yours I saw that last picture of yours You was great Leave us talk about England uh, Maybe we better talk about the raffle What is all this about the raffle, Archie? Well, you see, uh, it's Christmas And there's a lot of people that ain't gonna be too happy You know, people that 
Ain't got the kind of dough that you and me has got. And uh, I uh, thought I'd try to do a little something to brighten things up for them. So I'm raffling off this genuine diamond Terrara. Uh, the only thing is the raffle tickets ain't going so good. And we thought that maybe if you'd give the winner a kiss, it'd help things. After all, you kissed that Edward G. Robinson. It wasn't even Christmas either. <laughs> All right, Archie, if it's for charity, I'll do it. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll put on my most kissable lipstick. You're gonna do... Holy cat, she's gonna kiss the winner. But what happens? Suppose the raffle is won by some coothless hoodlum. Some guy that would go after her like she was a free lunch. Archie, you've got to save this girl by hook or by crook. Oh, Duffy's tavern. Oh, no, Duffy. Huh? Oh, the tickets has been going like wild cakes. Yeah. Uh, well, Joan Bennett's gonna pull the tickets out of a hat, and in addition, for charity, she's gonna kiss the winner. You want a hundred tickets, huh? <laughs> but suppose Mrs. Duffy found out you kissed the movie star. Oh, you'll throw up to her a kiss in New York that she got from Tom Brenneman, huh? <laughs> well, is she there? Well, look, you better not let her hear you talking about kissing a strange dame, Duffy, or your name will be Mud. Hello? Hello? So long, Mud. (laughs) I wonder how I could work out this raffle so that charity begins at home. Uh, Oh, hello, Finnegan. How many tickets did you sell? Oh, a bunch of them, Mud. Here's the list of names. Yeah, Yeah. hey, Finnegan. You got nothing but a lot of X's down here. How can we tell who's who? Triple odds. For example, this X here is Mr. Smith, and this X here is Mr. Brown. But how can we tell which is which? Oh, it's Mr. Brown. It's the guy with the glass eye. (laughs) Well, put all the tickets in this, uh, put the tickets in this derby hat here, Finnegan, and I'll go get Joan Bennett and pick out the winner. Yeah, okay, Mr. Finnegan. Put put, put them right here in the hat. Uh, hey, Eddie, hey, I think I'll put my ticket right on top. Eh? <laughs> you pretty anxious to win so you can get that kiss from Miss Bennett. Huh? Uh, certainly, uh... <laughs> what kiss? Didn't you know Miss Bennett's gonna kiss the winner? I knew there was a catch to this raffle. <laughs> you, you don't want a kiss? Eddie, that stuff stunts your growth. <laughs> Me, uh... I'd rather blow bubblegum any day. <laughs> bubblegum? Yeah. Mr. Finnegan, ain't you ever heard of the birds and the bees? Yeah, I heard them. But you give them bites and bees a hunk of bubblegum, and they ain't gonna waste no time kissing either. <laughs> yeah, but what you gonna do if she picks out your ticket? Well, the, the, she won't find it in the hat band. What? I'm putting my ticket right inside the hat band, and she'll never find it. No dame is going to make a chucker out of me. Well, Joan, are you uh, all, uh, all set to pick the ticket out of the hat? Archie, before I do, may I see the tiara? The tiara? Well, you talk funny. Well, sure. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, take a look at it. See? Ever see diamonds like that before? Only on chandeliers. <laughs> oh. 
Surely you're jesting. This is the kind of stuff you see in Tiffany's window. Archie, this is the kind of stuff Tiffany's window is made of. <laughs> what do you mean? Look at the back of it. It says Woolworth. That's the name of the owner. Uh, <clears throat> look. I, uh, I didn't want to let this get out, but this Terrera happens to come from the private collection of the heiress to the Woolworth Millions. But isn't her name Hutton? Occasionally, yes. <laughs> Look, Joan, you got no idea what this Terrara is worth. About 29 cents. That's why you and me beg to differ. Archie, don't lie to me. Well, look, well, what's the difference what the winner gets is, as long as the money goes to a worthy charity? But the winner will be disappointed. All right, we'll cover that. So that nobody gets robbed, I'll fix it so I become the winner. I see. And I give you the kiss. You see? Nobody loses. <laughs> Except me. Oh, come on, Joan. Will you do it? But, Archie, with all the tickets in the hat, how will I be able to pick yours? Look, I got an idea. I'll stick mine inside of the hat band, see? <laughs> then you just reach under and pull it out. Okay, Eddie, uh, leave us start the drawing. Now, frame, frame, Mr. Melnick. Miss Joan Bennett will now draw the winning ticket in the raffle sponsored by Honest Archie. And folks, I would like to announce that anybody who bought a hundred tickets for this raffle has no more chance of winning than a man who bought one. <laughs> Miss Bennett will now draw the winning ticket out of the inside of the hat. <clears throat> Uh, have you got the winning ticket there, Miss Bennett? Yes, I have the winning ticket. Huh? And, uh, what is the name? The name is... Clifton Finnegan. <laughs> Clifton Finnegan? I was free! <laughs> Finnegan, that rat in wolf's clothing. Well, I guess I'd better kiss the winner, Mr. Finnegan. Uh, now, you lay off of me. Don't be afraid. But, uh... Hold still. Oh, it's just terrible. What? To think of all the years I wasted my lips blowing on soup. <laughs> what a waste of osculation. Well, I'm sorry, Archie. I tried. Oh, well, forget about it, Jonas. As long as the dough goes to the poor people. Oh, Archie, as long as, you, as that's the way you feel about it, I think you deserve a consolation prize. You mean? Hold still. Mmm. <laughs> Time now to leave Duffy's Tavern for this evening, but let's be here again at the same time next Wednesday. Joan Bennett will soon be seen in the Diana production of The Secret Beyond the Door. Until next Wednesday, then, this is Jimmy Wallington reminding you that for a more sparkling smile, remember Ipana. And for softer, lovelier hands, remember Truche, the beforehand lotion. Ipana, Truche. Stay tuned in for Mr. Distance Attorney, which follows immediately this over NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Nightbeat next on Theater of the Vine. Time now for Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone, the night reporter for the Chicago Star, and another episode of 
Nightbeat. Nightbeat. Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star, which is as good a way of making a buck as any if you like walking and nobody's hiring mailmen. <laughs> yeah, I'm real bitter tonight. It all began with a column I wrote, oh, a few months ago, about a fire in a little nightclub over on the north side and the panic that followed. Afterwards, I couldn't get that panic out of my system. Human beings reduced to the level of animals. All I had to do was walk calmly out of the building. But no, they tore and smashed and clubbed and clawed, not caring about anything but their own precious skin. And so, three people were trampled to death. It griped me, and I wrote in my column that we were all a lot closer to the jungle than we realized when human beings could act so vile and so ugly in the face of fear. A couple of hours later, the galley sheet of the column was tossed on my desk, and, as usual, the proofreader had found a dozen mistakes in my spelling. But something else was added. Across the story was written... Too bad the human race doesn't come up to your standards. Signed, Fraser. I don't know, maybe I was feeling a little bad about the collar myself, but it kind of got under my skin. I put in a call to the proofreader's desk to have Mr. Fraser drop around. I'd hardly hung up the phone when a little dame about 70 years old, five feet tall but hard as nails, came down the aisle. Pencil sticking out everywhere from her gray hair and her celluloid eye shade firmly in place. Mr. Fraser's been dead for 38 years, but if you don't mind talking to his widow... I sit down. I, uh, I just called you over to punch you in the nose. Oh. You want to do it here, or should we go down to the alley? <laughs> I'll take a rain check. It's too soon after Mother's Day. You burned me up, putting yourself on a pedestal. Shame on you. Well, you weren't at that fire. You didn't see those nice human beings tear at each other like tigers. And you've never really been afraid, have you, Mr. Stone? Oh, I don't know. Of course you don't know. That's what makes me sore. You don't know what real panic can do to you. It can tear you apart. It can poison you. Don't kid me, Fraser. You've never been afraid of anything in your life. Oh, not much I wasn't. You ever hear of the lakeside? No, that was when you were still in cotton triangles. Well, it was a vacation ship. And it tipped over in Lake Michigan. And I was on it. And let me tell you something, laddie boy. I tore and clawed and ripped with the best of them. Sure, I was ashamed afterwards. But it left me with something more than shame. It left me with understanding. Well, maybe. The only way to understand hunger is to go without food. You won't ever understand fear until you've really been afraid. I mean afraid in every drop of blood in every nerve. 
then you'll understand it. And maybe you'll climb down off that pedestal. Now, is there anything else you wanted to say to me? No, no, but thanks for letting me talk myself out. Okay. See you around. Oh, and another thing. Yeah. You spell like a two-year-old. I before E except after C. Will you please remember that? She was a doll. I wasn't going to argue with her about anything, spelling or fear. Except that being a strictly no-hero type guy, I'd still like to see the day that anything could turn me into the savages I saw at that fire. And that was the end of it. For a few months, anyhow. Until I got the letter. This letter was on top of the pile. Nothing unusual about the envelope. No return address. Postmark, Winona, Illinois. Ah, uh, dear Mr. Stone. I am mailing this letter so that you will receive it on May 24th. It is important that you receive it then, because after that you would not receive it at all. You see, sometime between the evening of May 24th and the following morning, I am going to kill you. Hmm? Oh, anonymous. Well, yeah, that figures. Uh, going to kill you. I realize you will instantly decide that I am a harmless crackpot. Oh, instantly, brother. Instantly. And I am counting on that to keep you from going to the police. Let me assure you that I have no motive for killing you. I know you only through your newspaper column, and you know me not at all. But then what motive has the hunter of the fox beyond the excitement of the kill itself? Hmm, brother. I selected you as my victim because as you walk the city at night, you make a very excellent target. And also because, obviously, from your writings, you are an intelligent man. Oh, flattery's going to get this kid nowhere. I am writing you about my plans because I want you to spend every second constantly on guard. I want you to wonder about your fate, wonder when it will happen, and how. A knife, a gun, poison. Whatever way I choose, I assure you, I will trap you in a most unusual fashion. Well, thank you and good night. And I tossed the letter from Winona, Illinois, into the wastebasket. Everyone who wrote a column got one of these every so often. The world was filled with such goofs. By the time I started on my night beat that evening, I couldn't even tell you the exact words of the letter. By the time I made my regular stop at Gus's Beanery around nine, the letter from Winona was gone from my mind. The beanery was empty. I went over to the counter. Uh, evening, Mr. Stone. Hey, hey. Your paper called. Kindly give the switchboard a ring. Ah, thank you. What's the soup du jour, if I may be so bold? Hmm, what's always the soup du jour at this establishment? Whatever won't go down the garbage disposal, mixed with liberal amounts of Lake Michigan's finest. <laughs> you make it sound heavenly. <laughs> uh, a large bowl. I'll call it. Hello? 
As I dialed the paper, I idly watched the seedy little character push his face against the restroom's plate glass window and then come slowly into the place, shuffling uncertainly. Then the gal at the paper answered, and I turned to the phone. Chicago Star. Ah, uh, this is Stone. What small crisis are we faced with tonight? Oh, Mr. Stone, you had a long-distance call. Let me see. Here it is, from somebody in Winona, Illinois. That letter. You say something? Ah, uh, no, no, go on. Well, the party seems terribly anxious to reach you. He left a number to call in Winona, said if he didn't hear from you within an hour, he was coming into the city to find you. That was almost two hours ago. Did he leave his name? No, just a phone number. One, eight, three, six. But like I said, he called two hours ago and he said that... Yeah, 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 I know. Well, you might try him, though. He really seems desperate to find you. Oh, well, good for him. Thanks, kid. As I hung up the phone, I noticed that my stomach muscles had tightened ever so slightly. And the palm of my hand was just a little damp. I called the Winona number like a real sucker, and the phone rang on and on at the other end. And I got the mental picture of some wild-eyed loon sitting in a dark room, hearing the phone ring and shrieking himself silly and having food. Then I turned and started walking back to the restaurant counter. I noted that the seedy little character who'd come in while I was on the phone, with every seat in the restaurant empty, had chosen the seat next to mine. There he was, nursing a cup of coffee right next to my bowl of soup. I kind of smiled inwardly at the odd little feeling that gripped my knees for an instant and was gone. I sat down beside him, looking at his reflection in the long mirror behind the counter. A watery-eyed, moth-eaten little character in a frayed coat. I salted my soup, reached for the spoon. Then I realized humorously that the uh, feeling that had been in my knees was now in my wrists. Well, let's face it, Randy, old boy, old kid, old top, this is undoubtedly the killer, and he has unquestionably spilled strychnine into your soup. (laughs) I grinned to myself, wondering... Why the grin kind of caused my lips to ache. And then I dipped my spoon into the soup. Only, you know, it was a little funny how he'd chosen the seat next to mine with a whole restaurant at his disposal. The spoon of soup was on its way to my lips and that odd feeling had now settled in my elbow. Ah, knock it off, I thought. Act your age. You're a big boy, Randy. Drink the soup. But it was an amusing thought. I mean, Winona was only 40 miles from Chicago, and he would have had time to get here by now. Ah, the soup, kid, yeah. Well, the soup had reached my lips, and my eyes automatically went to the big mirror. He was staring straight at me, expectantly. I put the spoon down. Ah, Gus, come over here, will you? Sure. What can I do for you, Mr. Stone? My soup got cold. How about another bowl? Sure thing. It's a break for the cat. Oh, no. Not the cat. Eh? Why not the cat, friend? I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll be going. Now, one second. Why not the cat? Fine soup like that. 
I sure wouldn't mind if the soup wasn't so warm. Why? That bowl of soup. You were away. It blew me like a magnet. It became the most wonderful thing in the world, sitting next to it, inhaling its spicy aroma. Oh, it's frightening how one's values change. It's very frightening. I'll be going now. No, 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 wait a minute. Uh, the soap is fine for me, Gus. Serve this gentleman the hot bowl and see what else you'll have. Sure, Mr. Stone. I, I always made my own way. Sometimes everything gets out of hand. But really, I, I don't want charity. Well, take my word for it, sir. I owe it to you. <laughs> I left the beanery a little after ten, feeling like an idiot junior grade. Back to work, wandering the lonely places of the night, looking for my story. The railroad yards where kids in overalls flipped off the freights and brushed the straw from their jeans, thinking, Chicago, here I am. Past the produce markets, beyond the loop, where trucks were already coming in and loading their crates of fruits and vegetables. Through the narrow canyons of the downtown financial district, deserted, empty, the night wind whipping the scraps of paper that was so vital yesterday into the gutter. But tonight the story wasn't there. It wouldn't come. Tonight something was gnawing at me, and I kept pushing it away, trying to shame it out of my system. But I couldn't shake it. Finally, I stopped in at a gas station. It was closed for the night, but the phone booth was open. But Winona 1836 was never going to answer. Then the newspaper again to see if they'd heard from him. Oh, yes, Mr. Stone. I was trying to reach you. He came in all right more than an hour ago. He's there now? No, he hung around a while. He seemed so agitated. Then he said he'd find you himself and left. Oh, uh... What does this character look like? Gee, how would you describe... Well, an average-looking fellow, only excited. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Listen, if he comes back, you very quietly dial P-05-1313. You understand that? But that's the police. You catch on fast, baby. NBC is bringing you Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. There's more mystery later this evening with two rough and tough crime fighters. There's the amazing Mr. Malone, a daring private detective equally proficient at romance or solving murders. Followed by the man called X, an intrepid soldier of fortune played by Van Heflin, who travels to all the dark and mysterious corners of the world combating the evils of international intrigue. Yes, there's action and adventure every Friday here on NBC. And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. After the gal on the switchboard had told me that my chum from Winona was now in town, I stayed in the phone booth in the deserted little gas station to call the police. 
A crazy man somewhere in the dark city looking for me. No, no, I wasn't having any. Hello? Oh, hello. Give me Captain Barton. Barton speaking. Oh, Captain, this is Randy Stone of the Star. Yes, Randy. Look, some screwball is out gunning for me. I think I need some help. Slower, Randy. Uh, I got a letter from this guy. I thought he was just a crank, I but I... I can't understand you. Talk slower. Relax, Randy. This doesn't sound like you. Well, it is me. It's me, all right. Now, look, I don't know who this guy is, or when he'll decide to move in. But it's not so good for the nerves, Captain. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Start from the beginning. And then I heard the sound. Someone tapping on the glass door of the phone booth. I turned. It was dark, but I could see his face, wild and excited. You hear what I said, Randy? Do it slow, man. I don't even remember hanging up the phone. I felt my throat closing up. He was a slight fellow, his hands hammering against the glass door. They looked extraordinarily white and strong. I opened the door quickly. Thanks. Sorry to have to cut you short like this. Boy, I think this is it. Huh? Her pains are coming every three minutes now. The doc said when they start like that, call him quick. Man, am I nervous. It's my first kid, you know. He was nervous. I started walking fast trying to find a cab so that I could get to the police station and make that lughead Barton understand what was happening. Only none of the cabbies ever bothered with this neighborhood this late at night. Warehouses, small factories, lofts, everything shuttered up for the night. A hundred times I'd walked this street without ever realizing how completely lonely it was. A figure was coming the other way. Without even thinking, I crossed the street to the other side. And the figure went on. Now I wasn't wasting any time telling myself what a dope I was. I wanted to get to that police station fast. There were no cabs, but a block ahead was a subway entrance. I hurried toward it, all my nerves jangling. I figured maybe a cigarette might make me calm down. I ducked into a doorway, struck a match. As the match burst into flame, I saw I wasn't alone. Waiting for you? For me? You, the bunny Prince Charlie. Harry S. Truman, the man on the flying trapeze. Anybody with a pack of cigarettes and a social conscience. Ah, uh, here. Uh, take the whole pack. I thank you, for you have made me king of the night. Now, till dawn, I will stand here and let the galaxies entertain me. Sagittarius, the Pleiades, Perseus, the tiny North Star, dancing all of them to the music of our thrashing earth. Oh, fine, Grace. Thanks. See you around. I kept on walking, thinking, Riley, any other night, what a kick I'd have gotten from shooting the breeze with a guy like that. Poet of the darkness, his study, any alley, any doorway of the city. But tonight, all I wanted was to reach the subway up ahead and get to the police. And then I was standing before the subway entrance. But it was dark, and across the entrance was the sign, closed after 10 p.m., Fullerton Station Open. Fullerton Station, that was four blocks across town. Everything was against me tonight. The whole city was against me. Every building and every street. For the first time in my life, it was all strange. I hated it. <laughs> 
I hurried toward Fullerton through an area of condemned tenements now being torn down for a housing project. Everything broken and shattered against the night. But beyond the ruins, the lights of Fullerton Street, the subway, safety. The word had never meant much to me, but now it meant everything. I was walking very quickly, trying with all my willpower to keep from running. My heart beating too hard inside me and my nerves feeling them tightening. And I stopped. I looked around me frantically. Not another soul. The bulldozers and other heavy equipment standing alone in the streets. The smashed buildings, nothing else. And then I realized the voice was coming from the building just to my right. An ancient, sprawling apartment house. Two upper stories already demolished, but the lower part still standing. I rushed over to the building. The windows were boarded up, but the boards were rotten, and I saw one aside. Are you in here? Yes. Please help me. Hurry. I ran to the arched entrance of the building, also boarded up. Even in the darkness, I could read the large sign nailed across the front, Condemned Danger. I tore the boards aside. And I went into the building. It was like looking into a cave. The faintest moonlight from outside revealed broken floors, smashed walls, and narrow hallways leading off in all directions. Hurry! I looked through my pockets for matches. There were none. I'd given them to the philosopher. Have any idea where you are in relation to the entrance? No. Well, look, fella, I can't find you in the dark. I'll go for help. No, no, please. Don't leave me alone. Here, hold on, Mr. Jimbo, All right. All right, but keep talking. I'll try to follow your voice. You tell me if my footsteps seem to be getting closer. Yes, I will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I went down what had apparently been the main hallway. Rooms arched off in every direction. I stumbled... I crashed through rotting floors trying to reach. Empty room after empty room. Some dimly lit by the moon, most of them in deep, suffocating darkness. Keep talking. Your voice sounds closer. Okay, yes. You seem closer to us. I'd gone down at least half the length of the building. Once I looked back and the front door seemed so far off now. Gave me a strange feeling. Really close to get something, you never know. You're going to catch up, sir. How or where? Listen! Did your wife just stop? Why did you say that? What? I don't get it. You never know when fate will catch up to you. How or where? That's what the letter said. What letter? Just you. What are you talking about? Step on it, mister. Hurry. 
How long have you been here? Oh. Answer me. Hours. Why didn't somebody else find you? Why did you wait for me? But I couldn't move. The blackness seemed to close me in. I started having trouble breathing. Come on, come on. You're close now. Close, yes. His voice seemed to be right ahead of me. Come on. Or behind me. Come on. Where was it? Was he waiting for me there in the darkness, waiting to spring at me, a gun in his hand or a knife? Come on. What are you doing? His voice didn't sound right. It didn't sound right. He was only pretending to be hurt. He wasn't hurt at all. Oh, no, stop it, Randy. Get a control of yourself. You gotta help him. But no, I couldn't move. My legs had turned to stone. I couldn't budge them. Completely at his mercy, this crazed man. I'll trap you in a most interesting way. What was that? I thought I heard a movement. He was coming for me through the darkness. I had to get away. I had to get away. Sit down, Randy. Yeah, thanks, Captain. Thanks. Hey, you look terrible. What's happened? Well, I started telling you over the phone. This crazed loon sent me a letter saying that he was going to kill me. He was going to trap me. I know all about the letter. The guy's right in the next office. The next office? Sure. He came into town a couple of hours ago. Send Mr. Harris in. He was here when you phoned. I was just kidding you along, and then before I could tell you, you hung up. But he couldn't be. He... Uh, Mr. Harris, this is Randy Stone, the man you've been trying to reach. Oh, Mr. Stone, you? You're the one who sent the letter? Oh, no. No, no, no. I'm the tenant there at the sanitarium. Sanitarium? Yeah, for the insane. It's a private one in Winona. I should have known better, but well, he seemed so rational at the time. What are you talking about? The letter. You know, he, the letter. He gave it to me. He asked me to mail it as a favor to him. Said he was sending you a letter of appreciation for your fine column. But wait. Oh, I, I know it's against all the rules to mail the letters without the superintendent reading them, but, well, well like I say, he seemed so rational. And, and then, then after I mailed it, then he told me what he'd written. Well, that's why I've been trying so desperately to reach you. Just, I, I could get fired if it ever came out that I. You mean he's up in Winona, locked up? Oh, sure. Sure, you, you don't have to worry about that. Captain, get a car and for God's sake, hurry. Yes, the poor guy in the abandoned apartment was still alive when we got to him, but no special thanks to me. I felt like such a fool, I didn't know how I was going to live with myself. And then I remembered somebody. And even if it was just a little after three in the morning, I went calling. When she saw who it was, she reached for a coffee pot to bang me on the head, but when I told her about tonight, well, she added water and put the coffee pot over a high flame instead. So you had to wake me up to tell me what a bum you are, huh? Yeah. Uh, no different from the others. Clawing, tearing. And just why should you be different, lover boy? You a special design or something? After the Lord finished with you, he threw away the pattern? Okay, okay. Don't you get it yet, brain? We're all in the same jungle. And fear is what keeps us there. 
And the only way we're ever going to get out is hand in hand. Well, that sounds great, but uh, what about me? How do you ever get over feeling like a worm? Oh, there's a way. I'll give you some of this poisonous brew, and then I'll whisper the secret into your little pink ear. It wasn't much of a secret. All she did was send me down to the office, back to the typewriter, to put it all down, every word, and in the first person. And you know, maybe it's the same with fear as it is with a lot of other things. As soon as you stop hiding it, as soon as you share it around, the sting is gone. But brother, fear is a deadly weapon that makes the atom bomb look like a squirt gun. Maybe the day we all stop being afraid. Maybe that's the day the new world they all talk about will officially begin. I guess the article I wrote was okay because when it got back to me from the copy reader's desk, scrawled across the front and that bold, angry hand was, Welcome back to the human race, but your spelling is atrocious. <laughs> okay, Fraser, I love you too. Copy, boy. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night... To start, it's a new show, Pat Novak for Hire, starring Jack Webb, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.